everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. You have your host, Matthew Winkelstein, here. I'm fortunate to be joined by Bill Cole, owner of Foresight Solutions. Uh, Bill and I have worked together in multiple capacities in the AEC space, and Bill has a ton of experience in this space. Uh, he also has a lot of cool stories. So I thought it would be a lot of fun for the marketers and the sales professionals that are listening to this to understand someone who's been through this industry before, seen a lot of changes, and let him speak into some of the changes that are occurring now. Bill, welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Of course, of course. So uh, before we get into your story, why don't you tell us a little bit about Foresight Solutions and what y'all are up to these days? Okay, thank you. Foresight uh, is basically a company my wife and I started upon my retirement from Black and Veatch in 2012. And we basically provide services in non-traditional areas, if you want to call it that, to everyone in the uh, uh, engineering, architecture, and construction space. Uh, I've got a variety of clients, uh, some of them large constructors, some of them small constructors, some of them startups, and a few of them electric utilities that I, w that I worked with. Again, someone who's my age and still working, it, what happens to you is all of those contacts you had at all of those IOUs and those municipals, uh, uh, they all die off and or retire with millions of dollars after they've been bought out. So a lot of my key contacts, which was one of the things I brought to some of the clients that I had, uh, they have most, some of them, not most of them, some of them have retired, but I still have the opportunity to introduce people from the construction and engineering space into some of those clients that I work with throughout my career. Awesome. Uh, I want to circle back here in a little bit and understand uh, now that you have to form new relationships, how that's changed. But before we okay. get into that and some of the trends that are happening in the buyer's market, uh, why don't you tell us uh, your story? Tell us about okay. your career. Uh, uh, probably an eclectic search through my my career uh, non-traditional would be the way i describe it uh, after college uh, i taught school for 10 years college and high school coached in high school uh, basically had a variety of odd jobs i had a number of jobs in the construction industry and then at about age 34 not able to make enough money to support the three miles back at the at the nest uh, i got a job with an electric and gas utility locally here in the in the kansas city midwest area uh, it was a great opportunity, and I stepped back to almost a, a startup supervisory role. And I had training, then I had training in safety, then I had training safety and meeting facilitation at the executive level. And I moved up in there reasonably fast, but I was 10 years older than everyone else. Uh, and once I got tired of driving to these remote communities for safety meetings at 7 in the morning, I had an opportunity at Black & Veatch to install a marketing and sales training program and also be their director of overall training on the energy side. So I went from seeing Sedalia, Missouri to seeing Singapore. That's the easiest way I'd describe it. And I worked with a, a variety of, of clients in that regard. Had it 10 years of internal at Black & Veatch, buying and selling just like everyone else, uh, products and services that we were installing in EPC jobs and on engineering jobs. Uh, and that was internal for about the first 10 years. Uh, fooled enough people to get promoted into upper management, reported to the chairman, was the first executive selection after the partnership. So we went through the challenging years of trying to stay in business. And then I got to watch the wonderful years of, uh, of Black & Veatch printing money as they were successful in the marketplace in the 2000s. But I was asked to switch to a, a, a sales and marketing role dealing with outside clients. So first 10 years, internal focus, but some clients, last 10 years, all client-based interactions. 
I had clients worldwide, had a set of clients that I had deep relationships with, so I got to see deeply into their organizations. Left in 2012 and decided to just hang out a shingle and do this on my own. Had a one-year interlude to get rid of a non-compete that most utility, excuse me, most uh, uh, engineers have, at least in a sales role. And I basically worked with a, it's kind of an interesting year, an autonomous vehicle research firm. So I got a chance to dive into a lot of the things that are coming to fruition today in 2013. But I also got to see the vendor world and I was in an executive leadership role there for a one year period. Then I got out, we started this company and have been busy with Foresight Solutions. And Foresight Solutions, I didn't answer your first question. We do a lot of training and development, uh, managerial development, uh, coaching at the executive level, and, and basically marketing and sales support would be the way I describe our company. So that's what brings me to today. Awesome. So what what are, uh, what, you, 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 You've jumped um, responsibilities pretty uh, yes. distinctly. What have been some of the challenges going from the owner to the vendor and from internal to external? What have been some of those challenges and what have been some of the things that you've been able to apply across those different um, experiences? Great question. The, the, the critical part was as an owner, in most situations, you're in a position where you're buying from multiple vendors. And if I could just take across the whole scheme of things from 1987, where I had, I need a training program, or I need some safety equipment, or I need whatever else it is, I have multiple vendors who can provide that to me, and they're all dying to. And as utility, I'm following all the rules of how I'm acquiring those assets, et cetera. But I still have that keyword, multiple vendors able to provide a variety of products I need. And if you turn it around to today, you're in a position where there may be one to two vendors who will answer and respond to your call. So it's one of those where the sellers maintain a position much stronger than they did in the days of the, the earlier days. So those individuals that are on the buy side have a struggle. Now that's in some areas, it may not be in all of them, but it's a complete change of how that process has happened. So. There are industries where that has not occurred. I would say the engineering and the construction industry are, are two that, that has not occurred, but the vendors to those industries, it has occurred. So it's really an interesting change in terms of the dynamic. I can't just put out an RFP and have 25 people respond to it in some industries, whereas I put out an RFP in other industries and I have 100 people responding to it and my job is even more complicated. So the idea of the buyer-seller relationship has changed dramatically in the, sorry, 35 to 40 years I've been in the racket, and it has changed dramatically in the industries within that area. Does that make yeah. sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you, what, do you, what do you think drove some of those changes? Technology Which, would be the number one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the ability for the buyer to understand and know more about true pricing and true value than they did in the past. So it has to do with the YouTube videos on how X works, whatever the X is that you're buying, all the way through to people that are offering you the, the CarMax price on a particular device or, or part that you need. That's one of the, I think that's the most important change that is helping to support the, the buyer side. And the sellers that get that and understand it, I think are the ones that are most successful in the market. Uh, where you look at, again, um, no offense to the engineering trade, but most of the engineers and a large portion of the constructors are 
God, this is going to maybe damns me, but fat, dumb, and happy in the old world they lived in mm. and now have to adapt new technologies to both support their competitive price ability, be able to get a competitive price and a reasonable one, but also to get availability. Mm -hmm. And I was meeting with a, 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 again, this is small construction on my side. He can, he, he sells basically window treatments. That's his business. And it's been phenomenal. And he's got more business today than he's ever had, but he can't get supply. He can get commitment for supply, but it doesn't arrive when he needs it. So this whole concept where before he had five vendors that would sell him whatever he needed. Now he can't find that vendor. And so it's an important change in that business, just like a lot of others. Do you think that's a short-term trend or is that a trend that was happening pre-COVID as well? $64,000 question. I believe we have pent up demand as a result of COVID. Great. Mm -hmm. Play that out. And if you're the Wall Street Journal reader, it could be upwards of two times. In travel, it could be upwards of four times what we would people would like. Uh, and I think you see that in people's behavior across the board, whether it's a restaurant you're trying to get into uh, or, sorry, uh, people attending crazily some of the NBA playoff games. You just see behaviorally there's a shift. There is also a long-term shift. When you print millions of dollars without and you do it in a way that you say we're the we're the reserve currency for the world that it'll it'll all filter its way out i don't think it's going to all filter its way out we have an inflationary spike and again i'm looking at matthew who's in at, at an age that he didn't get to live through 1976 <laughs> to 82 19.6 mortgage interest rates so there's a lack of understanding with the majority of people in the workplace today of what this word inflation means. So it's it's our it's my generation's uh, uh, Great Depression, if you want to call it that, and the fear of inflation because it is nothing but a tax increase that benefits no one except banks, and but it might not even benefit them. So it's one of those that's a in, in, it's insipid. It's it it, it it's a lesser value. You know, if it's at one or two percent, we're in we're okay. But if it goes to nine, even for a brief period of time. So back to your question, is this COVID or is this long term? Yes. But it's mainly COVID. So was it pre was it pre-COVID too? I don't know if it was or it wasn't. There was enough people where you could get product internationally. Mm -hmm. Their second is a psychological impact. And I think that psychological impact is that no offense to a this is not a racial statement, it is a country statement, not China. In other words, we are at that spot where we say, I want something made here. And I believe that's becoming much more of a of a trend. The moment I said that, I have to accept that it's a five to 40, excuse me, five to 80% increase in price, which immediately creates inflation. But it also has work in the US. You look across, is there a way for us to get what we need to get here as opposed to somewhere else? And it's not a nationalism, it's much more of a balance in terms of our social structure. So there's all kinds of pressures that I don't think we've experienced. The Walmart effect took us to a level of wealth across the whole country that was much greater than it had been in the past. Now we're going to see the, well, look at the label. We're, oh, made in Indonesia. Okay, I might be okay with made in China. I don't know if I'm okay with that. And it just has to do with, I think, the landscape of how people see the number of jobs that are lost at that regard. Yeah. 
Well, I got to be honest with you, Bill. You got me a little bit, a little bit over my skis talking about the economy and inflation and uh, different different deflationary pressures. I I can't really engage in that too much. So I want to get us back and talk a little bit more about what we were talking about previously, and that's the AEC space yes. and the way the the buying process has changed. You had mentioned earlier, and I think it's a really good point that information is ubiquitous. It yes. used to be the OEMs had to tell these customers that hey, here's what our product does, here's what our value proposition is, and educate them on the market. Now the customers can go do that, to your point, through YouTube. And that obviously has affected the buying process, obviously affected the dynamic. You you hinted that a little bit earlier. Um, and you're in this space quite a bit with multiple customers. Have you seen people respond well? And what did that look like? Uh, the responding well is when you develop a very um, articulate, uh, very, uh, excuse me, very applicable process. And again, I don't care for them, but Amazon's got it figured out. When I'm there, they know what I want to do. They make it simple. They're able to get me applied. They, they help me with, I can blow up the picture and look at those blue jeans that make my you know tail end look less. Okay. Mm -hmm. That if you're in the, in, in our space, selling into clients that buy construction engineering or architectural services, you've got a much better chance of dealing successfully with those people from 21 to 50, which are the people that you're trying to influence. Yeah. The problem we have is that the leadership in these organizations are stuck in my methodology, which is let's have Chuck go out and talk to them. Let's do lunch and learns with them. And that that's okay, it still works in some cases, but in most cases, that kid has already been to the competitor's website, has already downloaded all of the information that he needs and is going to ask you questions that your sales guy might not be able to handle because he knows more about your product and the competitor's product than you do. So it's one of those challenging changes in the marketplace. And we can stamp our feet and go, that's not right. It doesn't matter. It's the client. And the client is right. So you have to adapt yourself to all of those techniques. The second piece is the understanding of that client in these architects, engineers, and constructors is of lesser degree than I think it's ever been. And it's one of those where, how do you get to that spot? Well, you've got to put things out in the marketplace that allow you to learn from. And I think that's a critical aspect that, you know, it's one of those, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And if you want to stick with the stuff only that you know and pound it harder, you know, that hammer doesn't work when you need a, a, a tweezer. And that hammer doesn't work when that tweezer allows you to get into the, to look at the inside of that client. In the old days, we could go visit that boss and he would dictate what occurred. Now it's much more diffused in the client and it's much more information that is at their level that they can gain. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but we are back to what you want to be back to, not the politics of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I don't. I, I just I don't. I, I can't engage in conversations I'm not well versed in. So that's why I like to talk about the AEC space and some of these buyer trends. Yeah, that was good. And you also uh, uh, sparked off a couple other things in my mind when I was Please. thinking about some of those other pressures. Another one I thought about are demographical changes, which you kind of which you hinted to, where it's it's a younger generation. And I always like to use the term when I need information about blank, I perform initial research on the internet. And that's true for a lot of people, even if you are an older demographic. But as that demographic shifts less younger and younger and younger, these old tactics that still may work become less and less effective. And that's that's personally what I'm seeing. It's it's not that the stuff doesn't work. It's that there's more in a, there's a more effective way. So if you could get 
one customer for X dollar, you can probably get five to 10 customers with that same X dollar, or at least the opportunity to talk to those customers. Great example. I'll, I'll do it from a, just take, think of training for a moment. The whole concept of let's go to the conference that occurs at X Chicago, and we'll go through the 19 different vendors that are there and we'll, we'll attend their meeting and their presentations. That's both a social event, it allows you to meet those people and it still occurs and is still a value post pandemic. Right now it may not be, but it's getting close back to coming to where it should. At the same time, some kid in that utility has already been to all of those sites, already knows who the structural people are that, that are in those sites in terms of the organization and has already downloaded and is consuming this on some weekend. So if he's the company inside nerd, he knows everything about your product. And that's not normal to folks that run things in AECs. And we've got to get to where we, we, we search for a deeper understanding of how that quote utility or that buyer, wherever that buyer is, gets their information and make sure we're in the line of getting the information or we're helping to even direct the information to them. That's the critical aspect. So don't give up on the old stuff, but assume that's never going to be as successful as it has been because the new stuff is out there and available to buyers. Yeah, and I and from a sales professional standpoint, I it, it in some ways it makes it easier because I think it's easier forever to communicate if you can do it in the right way, but it also makes it significantly more complicated because you have your role has to really shift and 99% of the time you have to be really an account manager, but you still have to close and there still is an element of sales that it doesn't matter what you do digitally, there's no one that's going to go on the go on your website fill out this form and say, okay, I want to do a multi, a million dollar construction project or even a hundred thousand dollar construction project for that matter. So there's this element from a sales perspective where you have to service the customer in a way where you really have to put their interests first, but then you also have to be able to shift and close. And I, I haven't seen, I haven't seen processes change to, to mirror that. Have you seen anything like that so far? Uh, I've seen, again, there's a couple of, of, of folks in our industry that have moved the needle uh, on their ability. Um, I have not seen a success role based so and, and again, this is confidential information in most cases. Yeah. So if yeah. someone's able to, to, to do that, there are entities which are giving away information they used to be paid to deliver as a project solely to get deeper projects. Mm -hmm. And the reason they're doing that is not to win that job. It's to lock up that client for future work. So if you're able to win a job with a client and break even on the first job, this is, you know, it's always been the, this way. Yeah. Get that client to not call others, just call you up and add on work to it. You're in greater shape. What's happened is if you can successfully internet eyes, even some of your work product that you thought would be worth money and you should be paid for, but sorry, it's out there on the internet. They don't need you for it then they're looking at your stuff, not someone else's, and give you the call for even deeper work. It's a tremendous shift. Uh, your point that you made about, I'm not gonna buy a $100,000 project manager job for a project manager with company X, an AEC company X, if I haven't met somebody's throat, I can choke when it doesn't work. That still mm -hmm. has to happen. But the key thing is all of the pre-work not all, most of the pre-work is no longer the golf game. It's no longer the going to our, 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 our open 
cafe that occurs at the XYZ convention. It's four kids, kids meaning under 50, at that location who have done all of the legwork around it and are disciples of the company internally to it. And that's what some of that information does on the internet. You want your company to be the Google of your industry. Well, look on their website. They got something on that. <laughs> Good. They do have something on that. Okay. And then, hey, call, he wrote that article. Call that guy. Yeah. And you're off to the races. Where in the old days, it was, I got to call these three people, put out an RFP and have somebody do a study to start. So as the industry changed, those traditional needs, um, you really have to have out there on the web so people can understand. The worst thing that can happen, you know, it's almost one of these where, you know, there's an old saying that I that I, I stick with with folks. If you want to know employees' opinions and you're going to do something, ask them. If you want to know employees' opinions and you're not going to do something, don't ask them. <laughs> so the worst thing you can do is ask them and do nothing. Okay, so you go out and fix your your web page to include all the stuff we've talked about, and it's absolutely perfect. And six months, a year, two years goes by. And now the market has changed and your website is no longer anything you have out there. All the information is not fully accurate and you're selling something slightly different. Well, wait a minute, on your website it says, <laughs> the coordination across those has to be, which means the promotion of that web management person and your whole strategy on the web has to be in the room can't be a fourth level down employee. That individual has to be in the room and be responsible for the nimbleness of your sales staff and what you're selling. That's a, that's a critical aspect that I think is very challenging because we got to have him in here. He, he, he's the web guy. Come on, yes. what's he doing in here? I'm a sales guy. He's in here to make sure what you say matches with what we say on the web. That's a whole nother internal issue. The yeah, second yeah. piece is the, sorry, I'll call it the insurgent methodologies of getting to clients and understanding clients is a whole secondary function of what I would consider the internet marketing world. And those talents, I, I'm sorry, do not, they're challenging to the individuals that are in the direct sales role. Let's go have a martini and play golf. <laughs> and that individual needs to be in the room so they know exactly who we're trying to find. And if they, and by the way, then they can check on those individuals. And it's a matter of all systems in a coordinated effort. Very few entities in our traditional world have that the way they should. I, I, agree, I agree with that 100%. I, I would say even if you look at the advanced industries, if you look at B2B software as a service, they're struggling with some of that handoff. What does the sales Absolutely. process look like? And to your point that the, the the need for company strategy just to be talked about at a high level to two people or to be worked at at an intimate level with a handful of people and then just talked about at a high level to the rest, it can't happen. Because to your point, it needs to come from executives to business development and then business development needs to be coordinating with marketing. And you also, you, you hit on another thing that I really appreciate too is, is that difficulty of some of the marketers in these positions where if you come into this industry, you've never been in the field, you've never seen where the work really happens, what it really is like. It's difficult for you to talk to these customers, and uh, I, I think that's some also some of the issue we have in, in the AEC space in particular. That role has been kind of a secondary role. Sales has been it's a sales-driven industry, right? And so yes. marketing's been an afterthought. It's it's events, it's presentations, it's not customer acquisition. 
that's where I think it's really changed. And um, one last one last point I want to ask you about a trend that I, I that you were pointing out is um, the the old days where you meet with golf to meet people. That's not that's changing, right? Because it's the four kids and that and that dynamic. The other one I'll say is the work from home trend. I haven't seen anybody talking about what the work from home trend means for for sales. How are you going to meet with customers? And so when a vent, when a customer needs to switch vendors, who do they think of and why? And that's where your content really comes into play too. That's there. I have two thoughts on that. First off, we will get back to a quote new normal that involves personal meeting, going to clients and working through all the things you're supposed to. That is going to occur, but it's going to be a new normal, not the old normal. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Uh, number two, that whole concept that you covered, uh, the direction of a sales individual. Salespeople have been working from home for a long time. Mm -hmm. Marketing people have not. Mm -hmm. Marketing people can get their job done. You know, here's the thing. Every job, I think, I think every job that has a desk that can be pushed is about a five hour a day at most job. Mm -hmm. So the amount of time and the amount of effort. So it's almost one of those where you can probably have 10 people do what 15 people can do. Mm -hmm if you incent them correctly. Now that last part is incredibly challenging for companies. Can we pay a marketing person $250,000 to do a job successfully? Uh, no, I can get it for 50 or I can get it for 70 or whatever the number is. Mm -hmm. And it's a body in a slot. But if you get somebody who is nailing it, they are worth gobs <laughs> more money than that salesperson who you have been paying richly for a long period of time. Now, again, this is a salesperson talking. So, so I switched into marketing. Yeah. <laughs> keep, in mind, keep in mind that that's an aha moment to see the impact that a marketing person in the new reality can have if they're allowed to and they're incented correctly to behave. Because I would contend a marketing person who is not is doing their job in four hours the traditional way as requested by management and either looking for or doing other jobs in the remaining part of their billable time or un, you know their, their internal uh, overhead time. I have no evidence to, to support that, but I believe what, mar what, what working from home has done in the marketing world is changed how we, it should change how we compensate market professionals mm -hmm. because that allows us to, I don't wanna say own them, but we need to put them in a position of more power in that whole marketing sales business development relationship. Now that is, that's heresy. I've just made the, the, the cook and the dishwasher into the chef. If you understand what I mean, yeah. and it's one of those where, wait a minute, you, you mean my relationship with it is you're still important, Mr. Mrs. Salesperson, but the whole rest of the game is more important than it's ever been. That's that's really well said. And uh, you went someplace I actually wasn't thinking about, which that I want to I want to I want to think about that a little more. Maybe on another episode, we can talk about it. Sure. Uh, the impact I was thinking about is if you're a buyer, if you're a customer at named utility or named company that's looking to hire an AEC company, you have a vendor that you work with typically. And so the way new vendors would traditionally get in there. I, Remember, right? You try and take the person out to lunch. Yep. You try and find a way to help them. You try and form a personal connection. And then when they have an opportunity, they're going to bring you into the fold. And so where I see that becoming a struggle is if I'm a buyer at this 
large utility and I'm only in the office two days a week, how much of that time am I going to allocate to meet with new vendors? Right. I don't know. Or because to your point, the, the in-person stuff's not stopping. But what, I, what I'm concerned about is how much time will there be for people you're not currently working with? And what does that look like? And how does that affect sales and marketing professionals? Let's say there's two answers I want to make sure I get out there. First one is I'm the incumbent. Mm -hmm. I've got the, most of the work with client X. <clears throat> what do I need to do to protect that position? Because these people are now on their own. They're out there doing other stuff. Uh, and I've got a war story or two about that to, to go to the extremes that other entries will try and make to get to a client. That's an, that, that in itself is what you're trying to prevent. And it's harder now because of that situation. We have to, if we're the incumbent, give away more of our product to maintain that position of strength. Number one, you got to deliver the projects. You got to do them well. But we may be doing more to help our clients solve problems they don't even know they have yet. So you got to be thinking ahead of that client moving forward. If you're the non-incumbent and you're infiltrating it, you have to use new and inventive ways to do that. And the key way to do that is to fully understand the personal nature of that buyer. You know, again, I've got my story that no one believes, but the Black and Beach guy who actually found the buyer and what type of dog he had and where that buyer lived bought a similar, and where he walked at five in the morning, bought a similar dog, drove at 4.30 to that neighborhood and walked around with that dog till he ran into that person. Now again, you're going, that's crazy. No, that's called marketing and that's called sales. But that's an <laughs> inventive individual. Now that was 20 years ago. Today, can you find that information even more so? Absolutely. Any person that's got himself on Facebook or all those other things that, sorry, the 70-year-old isn't on, yep. closest I can get is LinkedIn. Uh -huh. if, if you are into that game, you have an access to enormous amounts of information with that individual. So go back to that incumbent. You better be managing relationships with those individuals through those places. Get out and find out about them and do what they're doing. And if you're a insurgent, you better be doing the exact same thing more aggressively. The only difference in the insurgent, remember I said the incumbent's got to give away a little bit more. Insurgents yeah. have to give away a hell of a lot more. In other words, that first job for free to get us in the door. Or let yeah. us look at the work that your incumbent's doing and we'll show you where we could do it better. Those types of offerings that in the past, you know, you might do, now you have to do to break that bolt. If it's easier to do what I did before, than it is to do something new. I have to have a force greater on that something new. Mm -hmm. But it is more possible today because of the uh, social media world we live in and some of the, sorry, dumb things people put on social media that allow people to understand them. Mm -hmm. The look at me things that are out there. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, a, that's a little bit of the world we live in today though. Yes, it is. Uh, um, the, you know, I, I it's interesting listening to you to you jam on that a little bit because I, I I'm thinking of um, the insurgent and the the I think another struggle the insurgent's going to have is it's you and you talked about it earlier buyers are doing these things at all these different times and so if I'm a if I'm a buyer at named company and I'm looking for these services and I don't know when I need them. Maybe I need them. Maybe I find out I need them on Friday at noon and I have to pick my kid up. I don't have time to look until Saturday. And then I go to look at your company and 
the information isn't there that I need to understand that you're at, capable in this space. Right. There's no customer success stories that are demonstrating, hey, my peers think that you're credible in this space. Yep. Am I really going to make that leap and say, okay, I want to meet this person to learn more or meet someone from this company? Or am I going to say, these other two companies do show up that way. I do have a better sense of, of that they're able to perform like they say, because the customers say it. And I think that the person that's over here on the right that doesn't have that is going to struggle and it's going to happen more and more. And that happens more and more. And the, the entities that are more in my generation and less in what you're talking about, I think will be the biggest, the, the biggest strugglers. And, you know, we've all gone through the ups and downs, but the down that's going to occur after pandemic surge, in my opinion, in our industries are, are, are going to be very challenging for those parties because, um, you know, I've got a, a, a construction client who had an, an interesting statement from the leadership. It said, we have three years of backlog. This was sometime in the past 18 months. This was stated. We need to start firing those clients that are a pain in the ass. And you stop and think about that statement made by anybody in AEC. That's a phenomenal place to be in the market. In three years, I'm not sure there'll be anyone at that mm -hmm. level where today there probably are some and whatever, if you're building data centers for sure, if you're building, you know, if, thank you Biden roads and everything else, you might be in that particular area. If you're building combined cycles, maybe not as much as you would like to be. But it, it's an interesting dynamic that you face where you're trying to call your client base. That'd be the extreme on the positive side. That, in, that entity is not doing progressive marketing technology steps. They're not getting ready. And that's exactly the time when you need to be thinking, where can we spend legitimate money to get us into the 22nd century before everyone else? That type of thinking, I think, needs to go on. <laughs> I I love that. I, I want to... Um... What is it? A uh, success is the enemy of progress. Yes. Right? It's. Uh, I think it's Kip Warner said something like, um, "You need to treat uh, winning and losing as as enemies of the same color." I'm butchering the the quote, but <laughs> I try and uh, I try and approach things like that like that. And that that is the struggle, though. You're talking to some of these some of these people in the space, and it's like, "Hey, we're successful. We don't need to do this." It's like, "Hey, you you may be successful today, but these trends that are happening aren't stopping." And there's nothing that anyone can do to stop them because there are a lot demographical, generational, and that has already started to occur. Yes. And it's people aren't going to become less digitally advanced, right, as time goes on. And so I think that is just presents more and more challenges for those companies. Well, um, the, 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 only, the, only, the only negative of being digitally advanced is if you're not protected. You follow me in terms of cybersecurity and things like that? Oh, yeah. If I'm if I'm still pencil and papering, I'm I have no problem with being cyber attacked, right? Now I may be, you know, an ancient dinosaur, but that that's an argument I've heard out of out of leadership in some organizations. No, 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 we're not going to go there because it exposes us to risk, and those risks they don't understand. So yeah. the critical part is make sure the people you are engaging to help with these types of things know what they're doing, because there are you know there's evil in the world as we all know. And this is the greatest evil because it's able to do a massive amount of damage in a short period of time, as we're yeah. learning today in meatpacking, uh, you know, oil and gas moving, you know, that type of thing. Absolutely. 
All right, Bill, this is a, this has been a great conversation, uh, wide ranging. I think we have some things that maybe we want to follow up on a later episode, uh, but we like to end this on a personal note with all of our guests because you're successful like all of our other guests have. And one of the things that always interests me about successful people are their rituals and habits. And so what's the most impactful ritual or habit that you have today, Bill? It's an uh, article in the wall. First off, it's probably reading the Wall Street Journal because it helps to round out the financial aspects of a technical business. Mm -hmm. And I read it religiously. Secondly, it probably is on the conservative tilt, but they will also slam also conservatives as opposed to some publications that only attack. So number one, the Wall Street Journal. One of the articles they had was from the commandant of the um, Navy Admiral or the commandant of the Marine Corps and said, get up in the morning and make your bed. Mm -hmm. So you have one successful event that you've always done. And I found that to be an interesting thought. You ought to compliment yourself on getting something accomplished. And I, I guess the last part is I, I, I suffer ADD. <laughs> I bounce around all the time. So getting myself trained to making a list and trying to stick to that list, even to the point when I have it badly, fourth cup of coffee, I'll get out the, the, the clock and put it on 15 minutes. So I make sure I get back to task. So you ask for one, I try to give you three. Number one, I read the Wall Street Journal religiously. I don't believe it all the time, but I read it religiously. Number two, make your damn bed. Lots of people don't, but do something in the morning that gets you to a level of satisfaction. And third, get it on a list and attack that list. Now, the one I don't do that I'm trying to struggle with is honor yourself when you get things done on the list. And if you don't get the whole list done, don't piss off yourself in that particular situation. Take some pride in the work that you get done. So those are the ones that I think uh, from, for if you thank you for the compliment, if you think I'm successful, those are kind of the drivers that I've had in my lifetime. Yeah, that, those are, those are good ones. Reading and I, I like the I like the structure, uh, and I like how you you said there at the end being forgiving yourself a little bit if you do get off. Um, I know personally that's that's one of my biggest struggles is that is that piece right there. So I've over the last ten years created some good systems, formed some good habits, and I've developed a system when I'm of right frame of mind that know if I follow this, this is going to lead to success. Yes, and where I vacillate is. Sometimes I can let myself stray a little too far and other times I'm the other way where I'm too hard on myself where it's like, hey, I haven't got this done. How have you found that balance of forgiving yourself for missing something and also staying disciplined enough where the habit continues? Yeah, an ADD. So in terms of bouncing around from task to task, you notice my career is usually a 10 year. I'm in year seven of or eight of this consulting gig. So I'm beginning to look at, uh, and I'm also getting into other things, investing in other companies and being on boards and things like that. I can't understand how I will retire, so I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> but the vacillation back and forth, uh, I'm sorry, it requires a partner that is is phenomenal, and I have it in my wife. So she basically is the compass that when I get too far this way, Bill, you didn't get enough done today. She goes, oh, you did this. And when I'm off here in the weeds, she will say, where's that list you had? Or, and it doesn't matter what it is, but it's one of, and she does it from a questioning perspective, not from a directive perspective. Most important thing we can do when we're trying to influence people in sales is ask a question. Because people, people will react to a question with an answer. Now, here's the most challenging part that I've taught in every type of class I've deal, dealt with, whether it's a management, a leadership, a sales class. Who is the person talking to when they are answering a question you ask? The answer is you, but it's not the answer. The answer is themselves. 
And the reason I state it that way is because most people consider themselves to be reasonably smart. They talk to themselves all day, verbally or non-verbally. And it's important, they listen to themselves. They talk themselves into things. They make the decision to buy something. You didn't sell something, they make the decision. So you wanna create questions that allow them to answer the question to themselves. And if you in a restaurant next time, how many times does the waiter or waitress come up and go, uh, how is the food? They don't care how the food is. They want you to say, oh, it's, it's really good. Thank you very much. Why? Because then you've locked in, this restaurant has good food because you've said it to yourself. Try and create questions that allow a buyer to have an opportunity to answer that question for themselves. I do that at every, I try to do that with every client interaction by, through a question. And I'm a directive person, so it's challenging for me, but my wife has clearly taught me questions are the most powerful stimulus to get people to behave in a way you would like them to. Man, I give long-winded answers to short questions. I hope it Bill, was close. Bill, that was great, man. We're going to end it on the pro tip. Uh, that okay. was a great pro marketing trip, uh, tip, communications, there's some sales in there. So once again, I want to thank you for uh, spending some time with us and uh, we'll connect again in the future. Thank you, Bill. Matthew, thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye.